Perfect. This morning we're going to be talking about creating community. If you've got a Bible, you might want to turn to uh, Nehemiah 11. There is a big list of names again. I'm not going to read them. Controversial. We're going to probably read maybe four verses of the chapter. There's, I think there's 36 in the chapter. You can go and read them at your leisure. We're going to read probably four verses from the chapter. Um, and then we're going to talk about creating community. <clears throat> uh, where's that slide gone? There you go. My slides are slightly out of order, but that's my fault. Um, this, does anyone know where this is? You will probably not know. The only person who might know would have been Sarah Smith, but she's out in impact. Does anyone know, recognise where this is? No? It's a village called Eam in Derbyshire. Does anyone know that? of that? Some people would probably know. The year was 1665. The height of the Black Death. The plague was sweeping across large parts of Europe and uh, northern England was no exception. And it's believed uh, that in the summer of that year, a bale of damp cloth brought some fleas uh, from, e uh, from London into the village of Eam. I think that I googled how you pronounce it. It's spelled E-Y-A-M. I'm saying Eam. That's the village that I mean. Um, when this cloth arrived, it brought these fleas and they were carrying the plague. Uh, so the fleas went about and they started in infecting people. And over the next few weeks, 42 villagers died. And by the end of the year, so that was in the summer, by the end of the year, many were packing up, getting ready to leave the village. Uh, and then the village clergyman stepped in, uh, a guy called William Montpesson. He had only been there a short time, but he argued, sort of argued in, not in the sense of like, you must do this, but like lawyer argued. He put the case forward that they should stay in the village, that they had, whilst the plague was infected in, in their village, it hadn't yet spread to nearby places. And so he encouraged them. He, he said, let's do this together. We'll quarantine ourselves so that the plague doesn't spread from us to others. Places nearby like Sheffield. And so with sort of the help from some other people in the village, he, in, he convinced all of the villagers to stay put or the majority of the villagers to stay put. And obviously that had consequences. By the summer of the next year, five or six people were dying every day in the village. Their mortality rate for Eam became worse than that of London. In all, an estimated 260 villagers out of a total of about 800 died in the space of a few months. No family was left unaffected. But through their bravery, the people of Eam succeeded in keeping the plague from spreading, saving thousands of lives. I don't know if you've heard that story before. It was kind of doing the rounds a little bit when Covid was at its peak. community that were willing to give and sacrifice of themselves in order to save and benefit others. Maybe you can see where I'm going with that. We're going to read from Nehemiah 11. Here we go. <clears throat> Verses 1 to 3. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. 
and the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. And then it says, these are the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem, but in the towns of Judah, everyone lived on his property in their towns. Israel, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. And then verse 20 says, the rest of Israel and of the priests and the Levites were all in the towns of Judah, everyone in his inheritance. So basically those last two verses are saying, some went to live in the city, in Jerusalem, and everyone else, nine out of 10, stayed where they were in their inheritance. They got to enjoy what was rightfully theirs. And so if you remember sort of where we are in the story, we've kind of had these, we talked about, if you cast your mind way back, maybe you remember these three loops. This idea that <clears throat> uh, it was Zerubbabel, if you remember, the first time the exiles returned and it's like, yes, this is, the, this is the moment when all of God's promises are going to come true. But it didn't quite work out. And then there was Ezra. It's like, yes, maybe this is the moment that all of God's promises are going to come true about restoring us to a prosperous nation it didn't quite work out. And we're in this moment now where, hey, we have just rebuilt. This is what they're thinking. We've just rebuilt the wall in record time. The city wall has gone up. No one thought we could do it, but we did it, breaking all possible records. We've re recounted and remembered the goodness of God. We've recommitted ourselves to, to the worship of God. We've, we've recommitted ourselves to the covenant of God's. Things are going well and we're going to recreate the community in the city of Jerusalem. Things are going really well. This looks like it could be the moment. But why do they do this? What's the importance? Well, I almost dropped it there. What's the importance of community? What was the importance for them? And then what is the importance for us? Is community important? I'm going to ask some questions you are allowed to answer, which you did, which is good. There's a little bit of, you know, interaction, which is nice. Why is community important? Shout out an answer. Social, yeah. More effective together than apart. Accountability. Friendship, help each other. Relationship. Yeah, great. What is a community? People. People being together. There are, you know, people argue or sort of put forth that there's like five types of community. There's a community of interest. So people who share the same interest or passion. There are communities of action. People trying to bring about change. People doing something together. There's communities of place. You're in the same place, and so you form a community. You're brought together by geographic uh, boundaries or uh, circumstances. Communities of practice, people in the same profession or undertaking the same activities. And there are communities of circumstance, just randomly brought together. Um, you know, I don't know, you're all on the train together and it gets delayed. And suddenly there's great camaraderie and everyone's sharing their Werther's original or whatever they happen to have. You know, <clears throat> community can form quite easily in, you know, in certain situations, can't it? 
they're thinking we need to restore the community of Jerusalem. Why was that important? Community is essential. Uh, I think for them, they were looking again, hey, we need a strong capital city. If God is restoring our nation to being prosperous, to being the place that's going to bless all the other nations, well, Jerusalem can't be like a wasteland, you know, tumbleweeds rolling through the streets. It needs to be a thriving hub. It needs to be the, 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 you know, the metropolis, the big city of our nation. And so one in 10 people say, I'm going to go and live in Jerusalem. Now, it sounds a little bit like this wasn't particularly attractive because they cast lots for it, which we don't really do anymore. But in the Bible, it happens quite a lot. It's quite an interesting thing. There's a guy called Keith Green, who many of you won't know, but he was a a worship leader, evangelist uh, in the 70s and 80s. And in his book uh, that his wife wrote about him, he died quite young. They talk about a time where they had to do something pastorally that was difficult. And between the four of them and their friends, they cast lots for who would have to do it. They literally drew straws. It was like, you've got the short straw. You have to make the phone call. It's going to be awkward. Um, I'm not, you know, not saying that we're going to start doing that as a practice. But they cast lots to say, right, who's going to go? Okay, right, you, you and you, you're going to Jerusalem. But some people did go willingly. They said, oh, I will do this. You can stay here, enjoy our inheritance, enjoy the farm. You know, all of that. I'm going to the city. I'm going to work to rebuild Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem, the, the, the walls had been rebuilt, but it was in a vulnerable position. It, it could have easily been retaken. It was at a point where it could have been perceived by the king that had sort of sent them to to go and do that or by other nations. Oh, hang on. Here's a fortified city with no one in it. It's got like a smattering of people. We can easily go and take this and we've got an outpost in a key strategic location. So not only was it vulnerable from that sense, but it was important to get the economic growth. It was important spiritually. It was the the centre of worship for the nation. It was going to be a community that would act to drive the nation forward towards the promises of God. It was important spiritually, socially, economically and politically. It was essential that they got Jerusalem back up and running. As I said, they were surely they were thinking, this is it. This is the moment. We thought it was going to be Zerubbabel. It wasn't. We thought it was going to be Ezra. He's still around. But it looks like Nehemiah is the guy. He's the dude who's going to lead us back into the promises of God. And we'll find out a little bit more about that over the next coming weeks. (laughs) Andy's got a fun one to (laughs) to close out the series. Um, They thought this was the moment when the peace and prosperity of God's promises will be on display. It's important for them to get that city established because of that. If they were ever going to see those promises truly fulfilled, they needed that strong community. And for us, community is essential, isn't it? I think we talk, especially in difficult times, you look, 
I don't know who is still part of a, a neighborhood WhatsApp group, but many people suddenly at the start of COVID lockdown, the first one, if you can cast your mind back that far, it all seems a little bit like a distant nightmare dream. I don't know, fever dream or whatever you call it now. But in those early days, lots of people, hey, I'm on a WhatsApp group with my whole estate, all of my neighbors. So suddenly we're on this WhatsApp group. Does anyone need anything? How can we help you? There was sort of a suddenly serving one another and this idea of we're in this together, we're a community, took hold. If you're in one of those groups, how long did that last and how active is it now? Now, I'm on the, the Meriden, which is where we live, uh, Facebook group. It's interesting, to say the least, you know. Um, some stuff's helpful, other stuff isn't so helpful. Um, but it's essential, isn't it? Particularly in difficult times, I think, community, that's when we really think, oh, this is important. This is an aside. Sue shared something this morning about... Um, people struggling with being like depressed. And I think I'm not necessarily talking about clinical depression. I'm talking about like a, a low moment in your life. One of the things that's come out of the pandemic was that period of time where people were so isolated has caused almost like a different pandemic of like mental health issues. Um, and so I just wanted to encourage you uh, and say, the antidote to that is not social distancing. It's social undistancing. So just if you feel like, do you know what? I've just not recovered. Or I know someone who's just not recovered from that. The answer is not to isolate yourself, but to get into community. I just felt God wanted to say that to a few people this morning. Um, it came out in the prayer time. So I've been so encouraged over the last few weeks. Um, there's some people who are unwell. I mean, there's lots of people who are unwell, particularly this morning. But there are some people who are very unwell amongst us as a church. And uh, when I've made contact with them or been to see them, uh, the response I've had uh, as one of your elders, one of the leaders of this church, has been so encouraging. You know, uh, Anne Troughton um, was in hospital. I, I was you know, booking my slot to go and see her because, you know, rules, whatever. And I said, I said to some, you know, when, when is Anne available? Oh, she's booked up until this time. Because people from the church were going to see her. And some of it was her family as well, but people from the church got to see her. Um, speaking to uh, Natasha, uh, Lloyd and Natasha. Lloyd is, is very unwell at the moment. Um, saying, you know, do you need anything? Are you okay? I just feel, I, I'm, we're fine. I just feel so loved and cared for by the church. That's so encouraging to me and I, I want it to encourage you if you want a need and would value support it is there for you the people around you are great at loving each other so don't be silent ask and invite that in what's the song lean on me you know no one can fill those of your needs that you don't let show this is off the cuff I'm just making this up now you have to tell people it's no good saying, do you know what? No one knew that I was having a really tough time. Yeah, people should maybe ask you. But when you see someone, what do you say? You're right. How are you doing? Or how are you doing? You're right. You've answered the question for them. You've told them they're all right. They can't tell you how they really feel. That's, that's the typical British greeting, isn't it? 
Where I'm from, it's sort of a nod or a chin lift. You all right? Yeah, all right. And that is it. Now, if you really, really know someone and they look like they're sort of, you know, struggling, you might go, really? And they go, yeah, all right then. And that, <laughs> like, we laugh, genuinely, that is like my experience of people who then, a few weeks later, go, oh, I'm really struggling. Like, I could tell, why didn't you say something? I, you know, how do I impose myself into that? Community is so important for all of those things. These different types of community, interest, action, place, practice, I think, is a little bit like action. So I'm not convinced by that one, but this other person who's brainier than I am wrote these things down. Uh, and circumstance. These different aspects of community. The church hits all of those, doesn't it? To some degree. Hopefully we all share the same interests and passions, broadly speaking that we're all trying to bring about change, that we are together in some measure by geographic nature, whether that's that we come commute to a place or we come to a place on Sundays, we come into small groups uh, during the week, home groups, practice. We, we do the same things. And we've been brought together by external events and situations, the work of Christ in our lives. In many ways, it's easy to build community, I think. That's one of our mission statements. Our, they call it a missional triad. Christ first, transforming lives, building community. That's what we're about as a church. In many ways, it's easy to build community. As I said, you're on the train, it's delayed. Someone cracks a joke, everyone goes, Wee! or you're, you know, you're at a restaurant, Waiting staff drops a glass. Hey, everyone cheers. You know, there's a little, a moment of community. It can be easy to build community. It can be hard to build healthy community. And so this, I think, is the key or one of the keys to building healthy community. Selfless deference and honouring of the other. What do we mean by that? Preferring someone else. Willing to sacrifice yourself for another member of the community or someone even outside of the community. And I say, all that I'm about to say, I want to say in an encouraging way because I think this, this is something that marks us as a people, at least to some extent. So all of this is a press into this more. Ephesians 4, Paul writes this. I, Paul, therefore a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. He writes to the Philippians, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, 
but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, so you can look to your own interests, but not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. He then later on in that chapter says, I hope to send, uh, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like you who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Selfless deference and honouring of the other. I'm going to defer to what you want. It's difficult to be in community that's healthy. Musical style. I'm going to defer to what you want. Because I want to be, because this is the community I'm part of. I'm not going to try and push for my agenda to be the top agenda. You know, Ben, I'm, you know, Ben's musical style would probably not be 98% of ours taste, I imagine. Um, you know, <laughs> drums going 100 miles an hour. Um some of us would enjoy it, but others might not. But we defer to one another because we want to be in harmony with one another. We want to build community. We want to be healthy. And, you know, sometimes we say, oh, actually, let's go for it. Let's try something different. Let's, you know, countryfy it a little bit when Andy's not involved. <laughs> you know, and, that, and that's, and, you know, lots of us enjoy it. And it's fine. Okay. And that's, you know, we do things like the international celebration or the diversity celebration because we want to, we want to sort of recognise and experience the different parts of ourselves as a community. My prayer for those times when we do that is that it's not just once a year. If it's just once a year, that doesn't work. That's not, we're not celebrating our diversity by doing that. That's a moment to recognise it, to intentionally celebrate it. But what should happen is it should spill out from those moments. Do you know what? I just love that food. Can I come round for dinner and can you cook it for me again? <laughs> can you teach me how to cook it? No, I'm serious. Like, impose yourself on one another. I am like, <laughs> Andy has given me more lifts, you know, than you could possibly imagine. Megan despaired when we first got going. I think I've said this before. I'll ask for a lift if I need a lift. I'm going, going somewhere. I think you might be going nearby. Any chance you can give me a lift? Yeah, Jane, I mean, Jane's given me loads of lifts as well. Um, we used to work at the same school. Can I get a lift with you? Great, saves me money, you get some company. Um, <laughs> she came out the better of that. <laughs> but see, it's like those things should spill over that we get to, okay, I enjoyed that part of your, you know, that's where you're, that's who you are, that's where you're coming from. Let me learn a bit more about you. Does that make sense? You're with me. Selfless deference and honouring of one another. I said it's difficult, it's difficult to live in community. It's noted twice in this chapter that the people who went to live in Jerusalem were valiant or brave. In verse 6, it says, all the sons of Perez who lived in Jerusalem, this is a big list that I'm not reading because it's lists and numbers. All the sons of Perez who lived in Jerusalem were 468 valiant men. Verse 8, sons of Benjamin, the sons of, the sons of, the sons of, 
Men of valor, 928. They were valiant men. They were men of valor. As I said, this was important. They went and occupied Jerusalem because it needed to be defended. It, was, it, you know, it needed to be established. To selflessly serve others is hard. It requires courage. Now, sometimes, you know, I, we, we say, don't we, to, you know, to people or I say to my children sometimes, you know, courage is not not being afraid. It's being afraid, but having a go anyway. You know, it's, it, it's not the absence of fear. It's the willingness to do it in, in the pre- presence of fear. I think it takes even greater courage to do whatever it is, knowing you are going to get hurt. Not there's a chance, but you definitely will. This will definitely cause you problems. That the village of Eam, it wasn't like, let's, you know, let's be courageous and quarantine ourselves because some of us might get sick and we don't want to spread it. This is definitely going to wreak havoc for all of us. And actually, I might be able to save myself and my family by getting out. But because I'm honouring the other, I'm deferring to those who aren't part of this community, I'm going to stay here and it might cost me. And if you look up the people that died, I'm not going to say because I'll get all emotional. There were lots of a range of ages that died, let me just say. The families would have really suffered because they were willing to selflessly serve the other. That's real courage. When you know it's going to hurt, when you know this is, I'm probably going to die here, or I'm probably going to, you know, injure myself. Those are the stories. I've said this before as well. I, I read this book, you know, it's called uh, Amazing Stories for Making Men Out of Boys. And it was these different tales of like, a lot of them are British, you know, heroes or whatever and to be honest a lot of them I thought actually looking back with my view you like you were Muppets like you were just doing stupid stuff some of them it's like really I know this is putting my life in jeopardy but I'm going to save you the Royal Royal National Lifeboat Association has a great story in there of men who went out to save try and save some people knowing that this was a storm you're going out in this storm this is the killer storm you go out in a boat in this, you're not coming back. 99% sure. We're going to go and we're going to try and save them. It's real courage, isn't it? Courage not just to risk being uncomfortable or getting hurt, but knowing it will happen is what is required to build healthy community, to selflessly defer and honour one another. We're going to play a little game because... Uh, oh, where is it? It's gone. Oh, rats. This is the wrong, the wrong uh, PowerPoint. It didn't update into the correct one. Oh, well, okay. Uh, how can I do this? <laughs> okay, if I had a sweatshirt with a big tick on it, what would it mean? No, okay. Um, if I had... Um, uh, you know, a shirt with three stripes down the side. What would that be? Adidas. Okay. If there was a picture, a green circle with a white mermaid, you might not know it's a mermaid, Starbucks. Okay. Yeah. We recognize those things, don't we? I, 
it's unhelpful because the, the thing I wanted to use, the old, um, it's not on there. Okay, um, can we skip it to the until we get rid of the, that's it. What does this mean, this circle? Christ first, okay. The logo for the church, you might not remember this, used to be a letter X and a number one. Yeah? So you might have heard people say, oh, I go to X1 church. Okay, that, It served us so well for a period of time, that stuff, and it was good. Um, and even now, our website is x1church.com. In this logo is an X and a 1. If you see that, it's based off the old key row, Cairo symbol, um, which was like a, a kind of an X, but with a sort of a small P at the top, in the top quadrant. That's what that's based off. That's what the original X1 was all about. It's about Christ first. X, Chi, one. Do you, you understand? Yeah, that's where it came from. I had a little bit of a bee in my bonnet about it because people would go, because one of the things we said is we want people to say, oh, what church you go to? Christ first. Oh, okay, that's like quite a strong statement. Christ first, you know. But people started saying X1, which is fine. But my argument was when you see a tick, you don't say, I like your tick shoes. When you see three stripes, you don't go, I like your three stripe trainers. Say, I like your Adidas trainers. So for me, it was like, it'd become this thing, X1. And it was fine. And it, you know, it sort of was part of our language and people still to use it to some extent. And I said, we preached a, a series, a, a couple of sermons on it. And I said, if you say X1, you should mean it E-X-O-N-E. X, I'm an X1. That's the, I'm X1 because I am not my own. I used to be my own. I used to be one. Now I'm part of X1, where we're not our own anymore. Because we belong to Christ. You belong to Christ. You belong to the other members of this church. I had a whole game where we were going to guess the logos and all of that sort of stuff, but you missed out. <laughs> We belong to Christ. 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 19 to 20 uh, says this. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You've been bought with a price. You are not your own. That should have a direct impact on how we live our lives. You're not your own. What am I going to do today? What's God telling you to do? We belong to each other. Romans 12, verses 4 and 5 says, For as in one body, this was all up on the slide, for as in one body we have many members, the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We belong to Jesus and we belong to each other. We are as the same way that my fingers belong to my hand, which belongs to my arm, which belongs to my torso. We are members of one another. We should be working for the benefit and protection of one another. If there's, you know, a cricket ball flying at my head, I will raise my hands to defend my head. Maybe you're a hand defending a head and you're going to need to get a smack every now and again to protect yourself. Sorry, was that a not very nice noise? Um, no, or maybe you're ahead and you have to go, hand, protect me, you know. 
You can identify who you think the hands are. Um, Jesus prayed this in John 17, verse 11. When I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus prayed that his followers, the church, would be one as he and the Father were one. That there would be a, the unity that is experienced between the Father and the Son in the Trinity would be the experience of the church. That sense of community and unity. Is that your experience of church life? That closeness, unity, unconditional love and honouring. Is that your experience of Christian life in general? We're part of Christians across Watford, um, which is not easy sometimes. Brian and I are on the steering committee. Sometimes I think, man, these are guys that I find it difficult. I'm saying this, you know, maybe they'll <laughs> listen to it. Sometimes it's difficult to be in that room. It's like, what you want is not quite what I want, but we, God, Jesus, his heart is that we would be one. That the followers of Christ would be one and united. So it's like, actually, we're going we're gonna to put effort into being part of this. So that the world can see that the church is united. I want to just quickly, we're, oh, sorry, can we get the thing back up? Sorry, Katie, you've done a, a sterling job despite my um, uh, circles. There we go. What circles of community are you in where you actively need to choose the other in order to create or recreate community. You imagine that you're in a circle of community, so you've got yourself there and then you've got perhaps your relationship with God. What's that like? Are you deferring to yourself or are you deferring to God? Are you honouring yourself or are you honouring him? How's that relationship, that community? How's the community in your home? your spouse or your parents or your children or your flatmates or whoever it is that you share a home with or your family, that sort of next close thing. How is that community? Do you need to put some effort into deferring to others there? How are things in, from your point of view, the church community? Are you selflessly deferring and honouring others? What about in your street, where you live, your neighbourhood, as some would call it? What about in your town, Watford? To create healthy community requires the self-sacrifice of choosing to regard others as more important. To place their needs above your own comfort. Ultimately, we see this most clearly and most vividly in Christ. Of course we do. In order to restore us back into community with the Father, he set aside his comfort, chose the agony of the cross. He knows what it is to be betrayed by a brother one of 12 men that he'd spent three years with, comes and betrays him with a kiss. 
imagine someone you were so, you, you'd spent years living in each other's pockets. Come up to you, hug you, and hand you over to the people that are going to have you murdered. He knows what it's like to be betrayed from within community. He knows what it's like to be abandoned by his closest allies, disowned by his one of his closest friends. Someone who said, I'll die for you, actually couldn't even stand up to say, I know him. He embraced all of that so that we could experience restored community with the Father. Look at what it was like in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. They walked with God in the cool of the day. There was community there. There's community available for you. You can know what it's like to be in the presence of God every day. To walk with him. Because of what Jesus has done. Because he was willing to selflessly sacrifice himself. To give us honour. He lifts the needy from the ash heap and sits them with princes. We've been honoured by Christ. I'm just going to read a short, a few, uh, two verses in a chorus from a, a song. All songs are poems. I didn't know if you know that. Songs are poems put to music. Uh, so if you think you're not into poetry and you like, mu- like songs, you are. Um, <laughs> that was a thing that I was talking to someone about. That was Dave West I was talking to about that a little while ago. Um, this is a, a short uh, reading from a, a song called All That I Am. This is what it requires to build healthy community. I'm going to read this as a prayer over us, so you might want to close your eyes or hold your hands out, whatever you do, if you want to say, Lord, I want to be, I want to build healthy community. I want to be like those who are willing to go, the one in 10 who are willing to go. I want to be like that, Lord, so that we can pursue your purposes and draw others into that community that you have made. It says this, Everything's on the altar now. Everything is on the altar now. No holding back, no holding out. In view of your matchless sacrifice, take every treasure, take this life. All that I am for all that you are, my Lord. All that I have for all that you are. You're the pearl beyond price, greater than life. All that I am for all that you are. Selfish ambition and my pride I'm giving up, I'm letting die. In these empty hands, I have it all. The pure joy of knowing you, my Lord. To do that, you'll need to be online. You don't need to be online. If you are online, you can still do it. Will you give up all that you are for the joy of knowing God? Will you give up your preferences, your honour, your status, for the privilege of building the community of God. Lord, I thank you that that's what many of us have done. I pray you'd give us the strength and the courage to do it, knowing we're going to get hurt. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be difficult conversations. There's going to be times when we're upset. There's going to be times where senselessly we've been hurt. 
But Lord, I am in. I am in on the church. I'm in on your community. I'm in with my brothers and sisters. And I pray that many of them would be the same. I pray that they would all be the same. We pray for, for Yost and Anamik, Lord. I just pray that they would, uh, as they go back to Holland, as they go to uh, be part of that, that home church family, that they would be all in for your kingdom. Lord, I pray for us to be a family that builds healthy community, that we prefer one another, that we model the life of Christ, that selfless, sacrificial love for others. In Jesus' name, amen.